10k wasn't a good price 3k wasn't a good price 20k 30k 40k none of those were good prices you're calling me at 50k or 60k why it's like where were you for the last like five years well, you gotta get those people out of the market i remember learning about bollinger bands on yahoo finance when my dad is like a ninth grader <laughs> Hello and welcome to Crypto Trading Secrets, presented by Cointelegraph. I'm your host, BJ Pyrus. This episode's guest is Brian Krogsgaard, who goes by the name Ledger Status on Twitter. Brian is a trader, podcaster, and co-founder of NFT platform Flip.xyz. Involved in the crypto space on multiple levels, Brian has a sizable Twitter following of over 220,000. All right, here's Brian Krogsgaard. Hey, Brian, thanks for visiting the show. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. So I often ask about how guests chose their Twitter names, and you have an interesting one. And so (laughs) how did you pick the name Ledger Status? Uh, It was actually just a derivative of what I was doing before with a a different brand in the web space. That's where the status came from. It's just the first word is different. Uh, So I came up doing analysis in the web industry and got into crypto when I was following too many people from my like other Twitter accounts that were crypto related and it was distracting from more of the web stuff. I was like, I need a different Twitter account and the status of the ledger seems like a perfectly reasonable thing to, to name myself. And so there it was, it wasn't really a big thought process. <laughs> <laughs> so the show usually has three parts. Finding the bottom is the first segment in which I ask guests what they think about Bitcoin's price amid the bear market. So far in 2023, Bitcoin's price has moved up from near the mid to upper $16,000 range to up past $25,000, according to Cointelegraph's Bitcoin price index chart. So from a macro longer term view, what's your opinion on Bitcoin's price, taking into account the last few months and the months ahead? Of course, when you go to like 15.5 or whatever we went to, you know, we're 60% off the bottom. So that's a pretty big move relative to the lows but at the same time even today which for you know 25k ish at 64 percent off the top and on in total bitcoin at the bottom went 78 percent off the top that's pretty typical for what you might expect in a market cycle even though there was a lot of questions during the bull market that seems silly now if like will a bear market look the same in the future turns out looked pretty much the same and continues to look the same and in terms of what's that mean now it's a difficult place to take a new trade we're at some degree of long-term multi-week resistance at the same time as we're still well off the top so people who are patient people who are dollar cost averagers probably will be happy in a multi-year sense um, even if they bought at these prices but if you're trying to say like i'm going all in or all out or something like that from a price like we're at right now you could be (laughs) in tears you know, within days or weeks, depending on news flow or, or fallout or, or whatever could occur, you know, contagion that has takes a while to figure itself out or just the macro narrative. So uh, 25K is a little bit of no man's land. And yeah, it's uh, it, it's great, though, to see like how far it is off the bottom, just because it's going to put a lot more demand on that bid sub 20K as we retest it or if we retest it. But I wouldn't I don't think there's a need to be like in some kind of rush. Gotcha. So I think you touched on this a little bit, but 
basically, what's your opinion on where you think Bitcoin's price might be in terms of the bear market on an overall level here? At 25K and at the time of recording, we're right at the 200-week moving average, which prior to this market cycle has always held at least on a weekly closing basis. Now, of course, there haven't been many opportunities for that to hold. There was one in 2020, uh, two touch points in 2018, 2019, at the bottom of that bear market. And then it rode along it for have the two-thirds of 2015. And Bitcoin's a young asset. So if you're looking at a long-term moving average, like the 200-week moving average, which is just like the most common moving average that you know, traditional technical trend traders look at, it has held those touch points previously. The difference this time is we're looking at that same level, but from the underside, right? So it's it's resistance at this moment. So it, it is if it was flipped, it might signal like that there's a broader trend shift. There's no real evidence of that right now. That like the bottom can be in, but it could also be like a, a long road from here. The, those are not like inconsistent statements. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So. Are you talking about, I think you might have mentioned it, are you talking about the daily or the weekly 200? Weekly. weekly moving average? Okay. And are you thinking exponential moving average or... I use simple moving averages. Okay. Do you want to just dive into the, the two different... There's two different ones, correct? Yeah. Exponential moving average just weights closer candles to the current candle more heavily, and it allows the moving average to respond more quickly. I've found personally that the simple moving average is cleaner for me, and it's what I think more people actually look at. And that's what makes it more important to me from a trend perspective, is I want to see what other people see and pay attention to. So I became convinced of the power of simple moving averages, simple tools, similar to horizontal support and resistance. Moving averages can be really helpful when you're determining trend, and horizontal levels can be really helpful when you're looking at price relative to previous price action. I think in combination, they work very, very well. So there is both a previous horizontal level here from August 2022, one that we had a, a small bounce off of, and then we eventually broke down out of 20K and down to 15K with, I believe that was the FTX news in November. And now we're basically back at that level. If we can clear this, then AB sitting at 30K in pretty short order, and then that'll be the next like horizontal resistance and we'll be above the 200 week. And then the 25K becomes support. You know, it's not like rocket science or anything. It's just kind of like, where have we been and where could we go? And what are the points where the you know price might want to stop in between and what does that actually represent which is people's market psychology of like what's their cost basis and what prices do they feel good about and if you get over a level like this then the 30k round number plus horizontal levels that we used as support in the bull market in 2021 bounced off of and when we broke down from it was violent so that makes it pretty nice uh, target to the upside if we can clear these levels. And it could do that quite quickly. Bitcoin's been moving fast recently. So over the past year, what do you think the biggest thing impacting Bitcoin's price has been? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> liquidity. People just do not have spare liquidity uh, for a multitude of reasons. They have counterparties that went bankrupt, and that might have forced them to uh, lose money. They got coins stuck on count you know, places that went bankrupt, lost access to them, lost in trading, lost because of taxes, whatever. And those are all challenges for uh, liquidity. And uh, you need liquidity for the healthiest of markets. And so that's been a challenge. I would actually say the problems go way before that with Bitcoin, because we saw with FTX, there was massive rehypothecation of Bitcoin. 
So Bitcoin that should have been Bitcoin was sold, <laughs> you know. So the Bitcoin people thought they had on FTX was not there. And, and FTX was selling it to do other things. And that rehypothecation was actually a, a burden to Bitcoin's price, even in the bull market. And now that you have liquidity issues, it's just been a consistent kind of drag on, on price and presented challenges for a, a year and then some. Gotcha. And you, you, again, you touched on this a little bit in your answer in the beginning, but how does Bitcoin's bear market this time compare to previous bear markets? There was a lot more money involved and a lot more like institutional money, not just early believers and things like that, or just like retail mania. There was also retail mania, but I think most of the retail mania actually didn't occur in Bitcoin, whereas the big institutional money did occur in Bitcoin. I think most of the retail mania was in like Doge, you know, things like that. So that was a big impact. Otherwise, pretty similarly, they were very volatile. The percent down was pretty similar. And I think one of the things that's different is people expected it to be different this time, and then it wasn't. <laughs> you, know, you, you know, you had a significant drawdown, and you need time for the market to heal and repair. And big question now is, has it had enough time? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, other than I really don't expect like all-time highs in any near term. Like, let's say in 2023 or even first half of 2024, I think it could take quite a while for Bitcoin to work its way back up to those prior highs and find price exploration. Gotcha. So let's move into the next segment called Trade Secrets. So basically just tell me about your background or as much as you're comfortable sharing. Let's start with what did you want to do as a career when you were younger? <laughs> and I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. And then I did engineering in school, kind of preparing myself for what type of entrepreneurship I might want to see someday and worked for a company for a while, worked for other companies, taught myself to code. But I think I always envisioned that when I grow up, I want to do something where I have control. That's uh, from an entrepreneur perspective, like own my own business or run a business or do something like that. I've always had that itch. So I think that's fairly accurate. I don't. I certainly wouldn't have known it's like anything software related or anything like that. But yeah, I would have probably guessed that when I was a child. Interesting. And then how did you get into trading and investing? Yeah, my a dad actually gave me, I think, 800 bucks or something because uh, it was like eighth grade. And it wasn't 800 bucks to go spend. It was $800 to invest. That was the one limitation is I had to invest it. At the same time, you know, he was saving for retirement. He and my mom were, and they wanted to teach me about what that meant. And so they gave me control and the ability to see actually what it means when you trade, invest. What he, it was really more investing than trading, but you know he had a little bit of a trading side of him too. So I, I dug into the stock market as a middle schooler and actually continued putting savings from jobs and internships and stuff like that, both in middle and high school and college. Um, so I, I learned a lot of the basics of, of investing and in both even a combination of fundamental and technical investment strategies. I remember learning about Bollinger Bands on Yahoo Finance when my dad is like a ninth grader. <laughs> uh, and, you know, looking at some of the fundamental metrics like PE ratios and stuff as a high schooler. So I was interested in those things in high school. And, you know, I had my first uh, stock trading accounts, as, as, like I said, as an eighth grader. And so I've always kind of had that component of it. And that helped me when I got into crypto immediately start to think of like, well, how do I look at this, you know, technically or with a, a fundamental analysis? 
in addition to just, I think Bitcoin is cool tech or Ethereum is cool tech. Gotcha. And then how did that lead into crypto after when you eventually got into crypto? Yeah, so I was a self-taught web developer, was an active web developer in the 2010s and heard about Bitcoin on Hacker News in 2011, 2012. And I have a public tweet making, uh, not making fun of Bitcoin, actually making fun of Justin Bieber starting a VC firm. <laughs> uh, and I said, like, I thought Bitcoin on Hacker News was annoying. And then, you know, Justin Bieber starting a VC firm was on Hacker News that day. And I looked back at that and it was 2012. The price was $7 and about to break out and, you know, go to infinity forever. I did not buy Bitcoin then and I didn't think of it as investable despite, you know, having a, a little bit of a trading side of me. I thought it was just internet cash, you know, didn't really consider it as something that you invest in for the number to go up. Over time, that started to become a little more clear to me, but actually what got me excited about Bitcoin or, and crypto in general, Ethereum specifically, was the programmatic aspect. So, like I said, from the web industry, thinking of, oh, you know, like you can actually run programs and, you know, these smart contracts are really cool for making information on a blockchain programmatic. That was fascinating to me. And then the like investability and, you know, store value and all that kind of stuff started to click a little bit better as well. And I got into the ecosystem as a whole, but it took Ethereum for me to actually appreciate Bitcoin, which is weird enough. Interesting. So let's dive into your trading and investing a little bit more. How would you describe your trading strategy? I like to have kind of a long-term thesis, cyclical-driven ideas. And then I really consider myself kind of a swing trader. So I'm not in trades for minutes or hours or honestly even like days. I would typically time trades for myself in at least a few weeks uh, up to years, you know. Of uh, hey, I think uh, the I think the crypto markets are going to do well, so I'm going to invest in that. And a lot of that can also depend on, you know, what the tax implications are. Like if I have a tax protected account, like an IRA, I'll trade it every day. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And not that I'll trade in an hourly format, but I might trade more actively where there's not the same tax implications. When there are tax implications, I might try to, you know have some optimization for short-term versus long-term gains as an American. But uh, at the same time, like in 2021, for example, I had a really strong thesis about, um, you know, the altcoin market doing very, very well after Bitcoin's run up from 10 to 30K. People remember that in the fall of 2020. And I just made the decision, I'm going to roll my portfolio over and I'm going to go for it. And I know it's going to be short-term gains and it's going to be painful, but I'm going to go for it. (laughs) So... In that scenario, like I'll trade much more actively as the market kind of demands it. Right now, I don't really think the market does demand that. So I think being a, a mid-term swing trader, like multi-week, multi-month type of trades with a portion of your portfolio and then a, a multi-year time frame sense of things with a larger portion of your portfolio makes a lot of sense for me at least. Interesting. And so what do you look for when evaluating whether you want to take a trade or not? Relative strength as in to an asset's peers. So if I'm think, let's think of that in Bitcoin terms first, like how is Bitcoin uh, performing relative to say the S&P 500? Like if it's not doing, you know, if it doesn't have better um, trend movement than the largest stock index in the world, that's not great. So like why bother, you know, and for a good bit of 2022, that was the case, you know, but if it's, 
if I'm overall bullish on Bitcoin, then I might be interested in do how's the ETH BTC look? Like, do I want to take the higher beta trade basically at any given point? So Bitcoin's the higher beta trade of maybe gold or the S&P or inversely correlated to the dollar, you know, things like that. And then is ETH a better higher beta trade if I'm bullish on crypto? Am I more bullish on ETH at that given time? Or do I think that there's a cyclical rotation into a layer one trade? You know, like the big one in 2021 that everybody talked about was Soluna ABAX, like the blended word of, you know, Solana, Luna and Avalanche. And I didn't participate in all of those, but it was a it's a theme, right? It's a theme that you, you might look at and say, well, I'm going to make that trade or I want to I want to make the DeFi trade. But what? Um, what coins will actually seek for it. And so I look for relative strength within those different sectors or trends that I may seek. But especially times like now where overall I'm like, okay, well, I yeah, I think Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to be higher in the future. So it can denominate in BTC or E and anything I, any trade I make, if I'm buying an NFT or trading an altcoin or whatever, I want to make more of the denominator. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the goal. So when you say higher beta trade, what are you referring to? Yeah, so if one thing goes up $1, another thing goes up $2, or you know, if they're the same basis. If Bitcoin goes up 1%, is ETH going up 2%? If the S&P goes up half a percent, is Bitcoin up 5%? Higher, higher beta is basically, I mean, there's more, you know, there's more reflexivity, there's more, uh, there, there's, it, it the down the line trade, the higher risk trades are going to have, they're going to be more aggressive with the same trend. If you have positive correlation between Bitcoin and altcoins, for example, which we had for almost all of 2021, Bitcoin was almost never the best trade because they're not since 2020 did Bitcoin just take over. So I mentioned fall 2020. Bitcoin took over, you know, alts stopped going up. ETH stopped. It was not really going up. And Bitcoin tripled from 10K to 30K. That's an inverse correlation. But sometimes it's like, okay, well, one thing goes up, other other thing goes up faster. And the high beta trade might be if you think gold is going to go up and you think Bitcoin has a positive correlation to gold and therefore Bitcoin will go up. Well, if, Bitcoin, if gold goes up 1%, the high beta trade is thinking Bitcoin will go up 5% in the same time frame. So there's different ways to think about that. You can be all in on Bitcoin instead of gold and earn five times as much. Or if you're looking at this purely from like, I don't know, some kind of like statistical or quant view, you might say, well, we see this positive correlation. We think that positive correlation is true. We're going to take one fifth of the position size, but we're going to put it in Bitcoin and we're not going to trade gold at all. Or you could say we're going to trade 50% gold. Um, with a, you know relatively low movements, less downside risk, but we're going to put making the 10% of our portfolio and put it in Bitcoin, and that leaves 40% that can be in cash, and we have the overall similar you know similar volatility potential and similar upside potential. Now, I don't do that, but I'm just saying like from a thematic perspective, I try to think about it that way. Gotcha. Last question in the segment: How did you figure out your edge, and what works for you? I think my only real edge is my ability to experiment and not be like so fundamentally biased towards one thing just because. So like the maximalist mentality is not for me. Um, I always am curious and I always want to learn and I understand that there may be trade-offs. That said, I think you have to value the things that are very important like <laughs> Bitcoin's Lindy effects or like the resistance to change for the sake of security and reliability, 
things like that are very important. That said, it doesn't prevent me from being interested in the Ethereum landscape. And um, I can be interested in what Solana is building, even if like some of it would make me nervous to put my entire net worth on. So I think my only edge is this like willingness to experiment, willingness to challenge my own ideas, and at the same time understand like what do I want to come back to? What do I value the most? And not like not basically just not becoming a maximalist of something because I made money on it or because someone you know evangelized it to me and therefore I believe it fully and truly and only. Interesting. Well, thanks for detailing all of that. So going into the last segment here, which is called the next bull run, just wondering, how will you know if Bitcoin moves into another bull market? What are you looking for that might give you confidence that it may have switched into a bull market, if perhaps we have another bull market? If we have another bull market is a good way to phrase that question to encourage me that we will. <laughs> you need the doubt and, and I know you're not like saying you doubt the a potential future bull market, but you need people doubting it to really have the ability. Like I know that it sounds counterintuitive, but when you think something's inevitable, it almost feels like that's when it's most in, uh, that's most when, when it's most likely to not occur. Or like you, you know what I'm saying? Like if you think it's not possible, it's probably most possible at that point. And yeah, so from a pure trend perspective, we are in kind of an isolated bull market right now. If you think of somebody says, I just would not buy anything that's not above its 200-day moving average, like it needs to be trending forward. Well, you would have bought above 20K, and you'd be at 20, 25K right now. If your North Star from a trend perspective, like myself, is the 200-week moving average, then you'd want it to clear 25K and then hold it like and not use it as some kind of short-term resistance. So. I think we'll be in a bull market with time, though, and I think that we'll probably have a good bit of sideways first. So I would like to see us clear the 200-week moving average. You know, at the time of this recording, we just happen to be literally right at it. So we get above it, and we essentially establish a new range that we spend some time going sideways in a new range that's above the lows and give the market time to heal and repair and, you know, find itself. People just expect too much too quickly. Like this kind of Eiffel Tower move, you know, like, oh, it's going to go down. It's going to go down like immediately with no breaks. Uh, it's going to go up. It's going to go up immediately with no time in between. When you consider after the uh, 2017 top, in my mind, the bull market really didn't start until that fall of 2020. Because if you just bought at 10K, you got to 60K, you know, the 6X. You really got probably a 7x, and you didn't have to buy the bottom to do that. And that took a thousand days to get to that point, even though we made the bottom in how many days was this? 370 days, basically. So it took basically three years to properly break out into a full bull, new, you know, really huge new run. And it took one year to bottom. So if we just extrapolate that now, like, you know, we've had a we've had a year of a of a bull market, a little more than that, or a bear market, uh, a little more than that, depending on when you think it started. But it wouldn't surprise me if it takes us, you know, three years to repair. So if we're not really like pushing new highs and and you know the whole world starting to talk about Bitcoin again or whatever, people talking about six figure Bitcoin, or seven figure Bitcoin, uh, that could easily be 2024. And people forget that things take patience and and time. A good traditional market example of this is actually, I think, the NASDAQ. The 2000 stock bubble 
And I'm not sure that I would equate our 2021 run to the stock bubble of the tech bubble of 2000. But the market topped in March 2000, and then it really started tanking in 2001. It did not make a new all-time high until 2016. 16 years. Now, it bottomed in 2000, well, really 2002, and then again in 2008 at the end of those two different recessions. But didn't make a new all-time high for 16 years. So that took a lot of time. Now, the move from 2016 through uh, 20, the end of 2021 was gigantic. You got a lot of upside if you just bought the all-time high breakout. So there's still tons of potential, even though you had to be very, very patient. But most people would have looked in 2011, 2012, if you're looking back technically, as like, that's okay, that's a breakout, there's upside, we're probably not going to go retest these lows again. And I think you can you can be confident in any market in that capacity, that if you believe in the market, now a stock index has a lot of advantages because it's always the top companies within that index, right? The S&P 500, the 500 most profitable companies in the world. You know, the NASDAQ 100 is 100 companies that are curated for that index for a a particular reason. Um, Whereas Bitcoin is Bitcoin. (laughs) It's not like the Bitcoin index of other, you know, stuff. But if you were, say, charting like the top 10 market cap coins, you're going to have the 10 best coins moving into that. Plus, it's a subsector of of the world, commodity basket or whatever else. And so it's a little different. There's a little bit different risk profile. But people... I, a bull market requires patience because it has to coil up. It has to really co- be ready to spring when the time is right. And if you're trying to rush it, if you're trying to force the trades and all that kind of stuff, I just think you're going to be in for a bad time. Interesting. Yeah, that was a lot, a lot of interesting thoughts there. Thank you. So if we do have another Bitcoin bull market, how will you look to try and figure out the timeline of that Bitcoin bull market? I think you need to look at the halving always. I mean, I'm sure a lot of your guests are going to say that. But when you see fundamental changes in the market, meaning, you know, the supply of Bitcoin going out every block is half of what it was. That's great, Uh, (laughs) right? There's less that's being added. The disinflationary mechanism of Bitcoin and just knowing that less Bitcoin is going out all the time is good. The other element of timing is just going to be around, uh, Benjamin, we've known each other for a little while. You you know, people like ask you, hey, should I be buying this? And they don't do it until it's like beyond 50K. It's like, <laughs> where were you for the last like five years? You know, like none of 10K wasn't a good price. 3K wasn't a good price. 20K, 30K, 40K. None of those were good prices. You're calling me at 50K or 60K. Why? So those buyers that now have regrets because they were late FOMO, uh, market participants, you got to have time for them to just bleed out. Like they they're thankful just to get out at break even, <laughs> or they capitulated because it went so low after the FTX blow up. You know things like that. You gotta you gotta get those people out of the market because they are just pressure. They're pressure on price, and you have you kind of get coins into what you call strong hands, right? Like it's where that comes from. The people who are they're going to hold because they have a philosophical belief in the asset or because they have a, a fundamental belief in the sector's ability to do well. Or they have a, a technical belief that it's just time and you need that to occur. It takes time. It takes patience. And I'd be looking at mid-2024 for like really well, a lot of those things can align. And 
that's not to say we're going to go to 10K. I'm not trying to say we're like going to make new lows. We had we put a lot of pressure on the market to go to 15K. And I think it, Bitcoin was relatively resilient. And I just think we could see some sideways and time for sat stackers to do their sat stacking. You know, like we don't have to get rich in a day. Uh, we got a lifetime, hopefully. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for all of your input and all of your opinions and and thoughts and everything. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for tuning in to Crypto Trading Secrets presented by Cointelegraph. We'll catch you next time.